as Pastor Chris mentioned earlier, Pastor Steve has asked each one of us to take a Sunday and just share with you our testimony. And today, what I would like to do is start out uh, here uh, using a passage of Scripture that is a favorite of mine. It's uh, from Psalm 37. It was written by David uh, at uh, the uh, close to the end of his life. He says these words. He says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. It's all about the goodness of God. Oftentimes in our life, as, you know, the older we get, we can look back and see things in our life and we say, oh, Lord, you were so good in this situation. Oh, oh, you took care of me in this situation. David, of course, we know also wrote the 23rd Psalm, and there's a line in there that says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And, you know, the, the picture is like two puppy dogs following behind one's goodness and one's mercy, and we kind of look back and say, oh, God, you were so good, or, oh, God, you were so merciful. And so what I'd like to do is share with you my time that I've experienced in life and my occasions when I just look back and I say, oh, God, you were so good. You were so merciful. Um, I'll start out, uh, I was born in Charleston, West Virginia. You know West Virginia, that's to the north. We don't talk about that area of the country much. But anyway, um, I was born in Charleston, West Virginia. And anyway, um, I was born, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, I was about three or four years old in that picture, okay? And anyway, uh, growing up, one thing, uh, when I was a toddler, my parents divorced. And so I didn't know what it was like really to have a father in the home. I do know what it was like to stand in the window with tears running down my face, waiting for a father who never came. It's important to understand that because I know that as a counselor how important our parents are to us in terms of understanding who God is. Fortunately, my mother was very strong as a Christian uh, and raised me in a Christian home, okay? Uh, so I had that nurturing as a part of it. But to me, God was kind of out there. He was just kind of absent. I really didn't know who he was. He was something out in the distance. Growing up, I know that there were times uh, we didn't have a lot. My mother worked as a comptometer operator, which is kind of like a, um, a counting, ran an accounting machine. But anyway, her top salary was $400 a month. And I knew in the, house, in the home when money ran out because even as a small child, because we started eating pinto beans for dinner. 
And I learned to love pinto beads. <laughs> okay. But the Lord took care of us through that time and growing up. And then there was a time later when I became a teenager, okay? And uh, this picture was when I was about uh, 15 years old, okay? And anyway, um, as it turned out, my mother contracted cancer. She had breast cancer and then lung cancer. And so at the age of 16, she was in the hospital struggling for her life. And I remember being at home alone and lying there in bed and putting my head into the pillow and crying out to God, God, don't let her die. And she died. I never blamed God for that. You know, I didn't look at that and get angry or anything like that. But it, was, it just happened, you know. And sometimes you say, where is God in the midst of those circumstances in life? I knew about God, yes, you know. I knew that, you know, all that I learned, I, I went to Sunday school. Uh, you know, I even, were, you know, I was even an usher in the church, you know. I stood at the door and passed out bulletins and came around and took up the offering and things like that. But when it was finished and all and done, when the pre preacher got up to speak, I ran out and went across the street to Shoney's and got a Coke. And, so, and came back and drank Coke, and they'd make it back in time by the time everybody exited. So. But that was my, kind of my church experience in those days as a part of it. But even then, at that point, I recognized one thing, and that is I have to grow up. I have to be on my own. I have to take care of myself at that point. But in spite of that, God gave me uh, uh, an aunt and uncle who were very loving Christian people that briefly took me into their home until I went off to college the next year. And they were always there. And from my uncle, I learned what it was to have character. I learned things about honesty. I learned things about caring for others. I, you know, I, I learned from his example and the stories that he would tell about his life. So God was even with me in those circumstances. So anyway, I, I went off to college, and I, I worked and put myself through college, and anyway, um, then after I got through college, uh, I realized my degree, to me, wasn't what I wanted it to be. So I said, what's the hardest challenge I can take on? It was either med school or law school. And I didn't want to go back and take all the chemistry. So I went and applied for law school and went to law school. But I remember a point in that time when, I mean, life was just on, you know, turned upside down. Uh, it was life to me was really hopeless in terms of the future or what things meant or where things were going. And uh, I remember driving a car. I had a Mustang convertible that I loved at the time. And I remember driving, I've told this story before, but I remember driving on the back roads of Kentucky and I just stood there and I just gradually kept putting my foot further and further to the floor in that car. 
And, and I just remember saying, God, I wish I were dead. And I went around the corner, and there was an 18-wheeler truck coming towards me on the wrong side of the road. And I went to the left and spun out and went over down into a 30-foot culvert at that point in time. And the driver of the truck came running down the hill, and he says, are you okay, are you okay? And I remember my first words were, I'm just glad I'm alive. <laughs> but it was at that point that I began to say, God, are you really real? I want to know if you're real. I want to know that. And God began to reveal himself to me at that point, bringing people around my life. I actually went to a small Presbyterian church, and uh, it was very traditional. But the, believe it or not, the pastor gave an altar call. And I knew what I had to do. I had to go forward for that altar call and surrender my life to Christ. And he later took me into his office, and guess what? He was charismatic. I didn't know what charismatic meant. I didn't know what the baptism of the Holy Spirit was. And he says, uh, and he, so he prayed for me for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I received the Holy Spirit. And man, yeah, my life took off at that point in time and began to grow. And so anyway, I, I remember after that time occurring, after that occurred, uh, I remember saying to God, God, just get me through law school, and then I will serve you. And God says to me, okay, what about seminary? And I said, oh, God, I have been in school so long. Please, not now. <laughs> Please, not now. And God was silent for 12 years at that point in time. I graduated from seminary and then, uh, I mean, I graduated from law school and then I uh, uh, went into the military for training uh, briefly. God spoke to me so many ways during that time of training. I don't have the time to go into all, all of it. Sometime I will. But anyway, so then I ended up going to Atlanta, Georgia. I started working for a law firm in West Virginia and they sent me to Atlanta, Georgia. And so what happens is, I don't often tell the story, but um, anyway, what happened was is that uh, while I was there, uh, or before I got there, a friend came to me and said, Neil, I believe the Lord's going to send you to Atlanta, Georgia, and you're not going to be alone. I said, that's nice. You know, yeah, you do sometimes those things. Yeah, well, if that happens, that's great. So I went off, and it turned out that the law firm uh, uh, approached me and says, we want you to go and work in Atlanta, Georgia for two weeks. And so I did. And while I was there, there was this uh, woman who um, was the wife of one of the attorneys, and she calls me up on the phone, and she says, Neil, how would you like to go out uh, with a good-looking woman? And I said at the time, I said, I love to go out with good-looking women. <laughs> I'd be glad to do that. So she fits us up on this blind date. Well, so it turns out that the woman, she uh, was talking about worked for the Billy Graham Association, and they were in charge of setting up one of their crusades there in Atlanta. And so we went out to dinner that night, and then we were, uh, she had a pass, and we went out on to the field there of uh, uh, the stadium, and I was standing on the pitcher's mound, and I was looking up at the lights, and I was standing there 
just praising the Lord because that day the attorneys had come to me and they said, Neil, we have so much work for you to do. We want you to move here to Atlanta. I said, oh, that is wonderful. Okay, I, that is wonderful. Well, little did I know that the woman that I went out to dinner with and I, we got married a year later, and that's Deborah, my wife now. The goodness of God. Can you believe the goodness of God? Psalm 37.3, David says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. One of the things that uh, I worked on, uh, you know, at that point in my life, I was practicing law for these 12 years, and I just had, it was amazing how God kind of revealed himself to me at times. When I would go into a trial, I would uh, oftentimes pray. I would say, Lord, you are the judge of all things. You know the truth of what's happening here, and I commit the outcome of this trial to you. And I would go into a situation sometimes where the circumstances look hopeless. I would say, you know, there is no way we can win this case. Everything was stacked against us. And what, what would happen is, is we would turn around and we would win the case. But there were also times when I would go into those trials sometimes thinking at the time, you know, man, we're, this is a slam dunk. We're going to just, you know, do great with this, and, you know, this is going to come out well. But what would happen is, is that I would find out during the course of the trial that my client wasn't being truthful with me, or there was something that would come up that we didn't know about or I didn't know about, and we would lose. But I knew why we would lose in those terms. There was actually one case, it wasn't my case, it was the case of the law firm, where there was a young man who had been with his friend, and he was, they were both drinking, and the young man on the setting across the room uh, had a gun, and he was cocking uh, the pistol and, you know, laying it on and off, and the other guy across the room says, hey, don't do that here, give me the gun, and he threw the gun to him, and the guy caught the gun, and the gun went off, and the bullet went back and killed the other young man in that case. And of course, he, the young man ran when it happened. He ran away. Police caught him and charged him with murder. That case went to trial. And on the witness stand, the prosecutor got this expert up, uh, weapons expert, and he testified that the pistol could not go off in the manner which the defendant had described. And the prosecutor said, you mean like this? And he took the weapon and he threw it to the uh, expert and he caught it and the gun went off in the courtroom. There was no bullet in it, but you could hear that hammer slam. I mean, it was uh, all of the entire courtroom. God does some miraculous things sometimes, doesn't he? Doesn't he do that? Okay, but at that point in time, you know, that was all interesting, but God then brings back to me the remembrance of my original statement in law school. 
What about seminary? In law school, in law, in the practice of law, you develop a reputation based on the clients that are referred to you. And I looked around, and about 80% of my cases were divorce cases, unfortunately. And they were oftentimes Christians who didn't want divorces, but they were dealing with uh, the, the problem of divorce. And I said to God, why isn't the church doing more to help these people? And God says to me, what are you going to do about it? And I went home to my wife and I said, hey, I want you to pray about our going to seminary. And she said, I wondered when you were going to ask. <laughs> or why well, it's far more than we did, don't they? As a part of that. So it was off to seminary that we went. And at that time, we had a, a verse that our family, that uh, was kind of a, a life verse for our family. And it's one that's very popular now. You know, everybody knows John 3.16. Well, everybody knows, the second verse everybody knows is this verse that uh, I'm going to read for you now. It's Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And so with that verse in mind, we took off and we went to seminary. And during that time, then I, um, uh, we, we, you know, really followed that and trusted in that. And uh, what happened then was that um, uh, during that time, I got two degrees. I got a Master's of Divinity in Pastoral Care and Counseling, a Master's in Counseling Psychology. And the Lord gave me this verse as a, uh, what I, for want of a better term, I guess I would call a, a ministry verse, and it comes from Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and freedom to prisoners to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I love that verse. I love that verse. And of course, I thought at the time, that's a little ostentatious or presumptuous. I mean, that's the verse that Jesus ran, uh, read when he appeared in the synagogue and read that that was the prophecy of his ministry. But I thought, you know, we're called to be like Jesus, the people. What better verse can we have than to live out those things in our own life as we love and care for others? <clears throat> David goes on to say in verse 4, he says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
we are familiar as well with that verse. And I'll share this experience just as an illustration for me about this. I went on a trip, and I had uh, went to Egypt, and I had the opportunity to actually climb the Pyramid of Cheops. That is the largest of the pyramids in Egypt. That pyramid is 450 feet high. You want some perspective as to how high that thing is, that's equal to as much as a 50-story building. Now, I used to, I'm not a marathoner like Steve has been, but at one point I was actually trained and would run like five miles uh, like about three times a week. But I tell you, you want to get exhausted. Try and climb something like that. And I got to the top of it, and I could look out, and I could see all of Cairo, and I could look over, and I could see the curvature of the earth out into the desert at that point. And I stood there, stood there thinking, this pyramid was here when Abraham and Sarah came through Egypt. This pyramid was here when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. This pyramid was here when Napoleon with his army came through and tried to tear it down because it was a pagan edifice. He couldn't do it. And then the Lord at that point in time brought back a memory to me from my childhood. The very first Christmas gift I ever remember receiving was one of those little Viewmaster things, you know, where it had the disc with the pictures and you could go through and click it and look at it. And the disc was of Egypt. And one of the pictures on the disc and I can still see it. I saw it then. I can still see it as I'm speaking now. Picture of a man sitting on the top of the Pyramid of Cheops. And I remember as that small child thinking, oh, wouldn't that be marvelous to someday be able to do that? The thought of a small child and God's faithfulness to bring that to, ha to happen. Whether we know it or not, we are a part of God's history. We are a part of God's plan. We are not insignificant in God's eyes. We are important to him, and he looks upon us, and he gives us the desires of our hearts. What a marvelous experience. I can look back on that, whatever circumstance I'm in, and think, God, you are so faithful. You love me so much. How neat. What an occasion that was to, to be able to experience that. And then God, uh, David writes in verses 5 and 6, he says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noon day. Whatever God calls us to do, 
he will do it. We somehow have the misunderstanding that it's all up to us, that, you know, we have to do it. And, and it feels like so overwhelming, we can't possibly think about doing or accomplishing something or what he's called us into. But the point of it all is, is it is God who does it because he's the one that receives all the glory. Whatever our experience in life, whatever it is that he is calling us to do, wherever he's calling us to go, you know, in, in my lifetime, I would never conceive that I would be standing here talking to you now. I remember being in the seventh grade and having a seventh grade teacher who actually made the entire class one by one. Take a, we, she had a hat, and she would make us reach into the hat and pull out a slip of paper, and we had to take that slip of paper, and whatever the topic was written on that slip of paper, we had to talk for five minutes for eternity about that topic. <laughs> you have, you know, you don't know me. Uh, you don't know how shy and withdrawn I was. And she didn't know what she was doing when she did that. See. But yet, you know, we had to do that and learn to do that and be comfortable with that. And yet God is in our midst working as to prepare because he knows what lies ahead. He knows what he's calling us to do, and he's working within us. In verses 7 and 9, David says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing, for evil doers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. David, as we know, had to run from Saul. He had been anointed king. He was God's choice. He was God's man. <clears throat> he, was he would step into that position. But yet, Saul continued to pursue him in the wilderness, and he had to hide, hide. By some account, one historian says that he had he was in exile for as long as 20 years. For some, one said 10 or 15, and one said 8. Whatever time you pick, that's a long time to hide out in a cave in the wilderness when God has made you king, right? And David's point in this verse is whatever circumstance we're in, whatever hardship we're going in, to, the key is to wait upon the Lord. Let him do it. Let him make it happen. We don't have to struggle. We don't have to fight. We don't have to do anything. The Lord will take care of it because he has called us to do it, and he is working in our lives day by day. David says, he says, I am old. Put the next slide up there for me, our title slide. 
he comes back and he says to us, he says, you want to know about the goodness of God? He says, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteousness, the righteous forsaken, the faithfulness of God. When I was young growing up, I never thought about family a lot. Uh, I never, yeah, I thought, well, yeah, maybe someday I'll get married, maybe. But I didn't think a whole lot about it. You never know what the Lord has for you. Let me show you now the faithfulness of the Lord. Can we have that last, last slide? Can you pull that up? goodness of the Lord. As we close, I want to call our altar ministers forward and our musicians, and um, if you have a need, if you're waiting on God, if you're trying to understand what God is doing in your life, if you just need prayer, if this is a hard time for you, I want you to come forward and pray with our altar ministers. And as we close, what uh, we're going to do is uh, just sing a special song that gives thanksgiving to God for his goodness in very simple terms. It says, here I am to worship. Let's stand together if we can. <laughs>